0: Hey guys, welcome to Filter. I'm Aaron Champ, and I am just so excited to be bringing you this bonus episode of our podcast, which is a conversation with my good friend, Alan Briggs. Alan is the lead creative at Stayforth Designs, which is a uh, company that works with entrepreneurs, business leaders, church planners, and people in all different kinds of ministry in uh, getting their life healthy Uh, finding their unique calling uh, from God, finding how God has uniquely wired them to live out that calling and really be able to pursue and achieve that calling, but not at the cost of their souls or their health. Uh, In addition to leading Stay Forth Designs, Alan is also the host of the Right Side Up Leadership podcast. In addition to that, he also is the author of several different books. I've got a few of those right here. He's the author of Everyone's a Genius, of his first book, Staying is the New Going, and also Guardrails. He's also the author of the ebook, which is The Right Side Up Leader. You can find all these things, which are going to be in the show notes. Uh, this conversation is just great. I loved every minute of it. There's so much good stuff in here. I really encourage you to uh, get excited, get engaged in listening to this one. Uh, there's going to be something really valuable for every person in it. Uh, Once again, before you go, make sure you check out the show notes after you listen to the conversation uh, to follow up on uh, any of the things that we talked about, including some show highlights and then also some resources uh, to find Alan's books, to find Safe Worth Designs, his podcast and whatever else. I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here is my friend Alan Briggs. Alan Briggs, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, man. Love what you're doing. Congrats. This is going to feed so many leaders out there. Thanks, man. Well, with you in here, I have no doubt that it will be productive and helpful to leaders. You know, we're living in a crazy time right now, and so we're going to get into a lot of stuff, but I wanted to just jump in with something really immediate and practical to get started. Um, This unique time we're living in right now with this pandemic, the social distancing, you know, everyone's lives. And routines have just been thrown up in the air. Uh, for you, you know, with your job being working with leaders and everything that you do, what opportunities do you see for leaders right now uh, in this time?
1: Well, for for us as a team at Stay Forward Designs, we're a team of coaches and consultants, which means that we're working with business leaders, nonprofit leaders, and church leaders who are really leading the way for everyone else. So, leaders are feeling a secondhand trauma right now. Um, they're also feeling like I have to push really hard. I have to figure things out right now. Um, I have to work from home and figure that thing out for the first time. And so these are things that we just find ourselves uniquely placed and designed to do at Stay We're a decentralized team across the country. So we've actually been doing some webinars, working with some teams to learn how to work decentralized. Um, It's not something that's been normal uh, to others. I'm recording this here from our house and from my office. Occasionally a dog may bark or a kid may come in. And that's just a reality that I live with. That's normal uh, from coaching sessions and things like that. So all the way from the really practical, how do we work from home in this season to the, um, how do we handle what's about to happen financially that we're on the edge of? How do we serve our communities? How do we connect with people who are, Um, taking the next right step, doing really innovative things. And I'll just say, man, I'm so proud of businesses who are innovating right now. I'm proud of churches who are serving their community when they could be self-protecting right now. And for local community nonprofits are working nonstop from shelters in our city to nonprofits that, that serve small businesses and others. Man, it's been incredible to watch because wherever there's limitation, there's always innovation. Mm. And that's where innovation comes from, not from excess. And so I think, Aaron, in the limits of this season and the limitations it brings to all leaders, there are some incredible things coming out of this. Um, There's going to be pain on the other side. Uh, There always is in crisis, but there's incredible opportunity there. So, yeah, I think community, I think teams, uh, specifically how we communicate, specifically how we do church, I believe has changed forever. Um, How we communicate the hope of the gospel through the internet. Uh, I don't think anybody's questioning that the internet is a legit space right now to be able to uh, continue to innovate, create new ideas, and ultimately, like social media is amazing at, share those with friends who may be watching and even lurking on your social media feeds.
0: Yeah. So like you were saying, you and your team have already been working decentralized. And so what you mean by that is you guys are spread all over the country, right? I mean, you guys are basically from like, short to Shore, right? You've got guys on the East Coast and West Coast, right?
1: Yeah, we've got three of the four time zones you're working at right now. So depending, (laughs) it may be too early for some people and too late for others.
0: Yeah. So as a decentralized team, you and then most of the guys and gals on your team are already used to working from home. And so uh, like what we're doing right now is kind of already your normal. Whereas for everyone else having to stay at home or working from home, working remotely, is abnormal. So everybody's abnormal abnormal right now is kind of your normal. So before we go any further, moving on from this topic, what are just some basic practical tips you would give for people who are trying to figure out how to keep their sanity and keep their productivity uh, working remotely? Yeah, let me let me give two principles first and then let me share some tips that come out of that.
1: First of all, is the greater the proximity, the greater the boundaries that we need. If you have vacation relationship their family and you live across the country see them for a week or two a year you don't have that many boundaries but if then they move in next door and then they move into your basement you need to have a ton of boundaries so what's happened is that work has moved many people five and ten miles away to exactly in their bedrooms literally people are setting up offices in their bedrooms and so a greater amount of boundaries are needed right now and I'll, I'll say the boundaries can be what time you're going to work, where you're going to work from, when you're going to be around your phone, when you're going to be done answering emails, connecting with your team, uh, producing for work. When that's literally in your bedroom, uh, for me in my office, just a few feet away from where family life happens, we have to have greater boundaries. We have to expose, uh, I would say, even our kids to the fact that, oh, daddy or mommy is working right now. And that's hard for them to understand. And so we have some processes. I have a little thing on the door. I literally turn when it's in a meeting or come on in, and The doors open, the kids are allowed to come in. If not, assume that I'm recording a podcast or coaching someone. Um, and so I think that's, that's a huge principle right there. Again, I already talked about how innovation comes from limitations. So I actually think view this time as an opportunity to learn something that you didn't know about communication, about how you can work. Um, And I actually think in times of crisis, what I've observed, Aaron, is that people are actually working more but getting less done. I think a lot of people are glued to their screens right now. And I think that we need to define what is urgent and what is important right now more than ever. Because I think people are spending half their days looking at Twitter feeds and news and going from thing to thing on their phone, forgetting there's actual work to be done um, and forgetting that If you have less work to be done, we could actually invest that back in our families, in our mental health, in our physical health. I know you've been doing workouts in different ways than before, and I love to watch that, right? How are we taking care of ourselves physically, relationally, emotionally? And of course, if we have a little extra space right now, why not invest back into our families, spend more time in the Word, learn, um, pick up a podcast, do something that you're really uh, creatively excited about, or use that margin to do nothing extra to sleep more, to hear from the Lord, to rest and relax more, treat it as life as a timeout. So those are a couple principles. And then a couple of the ideas that I think have risen from that.
0: That's so good. And so, yeah, I'm definitely hearing the boundaries thing. You know, I mean, that's a super important. And so that's really good stuff. Um, you know, I think it's great to, to start there where people are definitely feeling some pain points. And so thanks for those. You know, whenever I was thinking about us doing this episode together, and it's to sit down and talk. And so, you know, uh, most people probably already know you and I have been friends for a while. Um, and we, uh, we've we been friends for a while. You've coached me uh, through a whole season of coaching. And so um, in all of that, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, what are some things we want to talk about and cover in this interview and get to? And uh, one of the things that came to my mind is I realized I don't really know much of your story, <laughs> much of your background. And so just tell us your story, man. Yeah. Well,
1: again, I'd rather be eating over a po' boy at old time, but if we have to settle for some food that's non-Cajun right now and be at a distance, let's talk about this. Interesting that you say that because my role as a coach, Aaron, is to focus on those, to ask questions of the other people. And so I may ask Mm -hmm. deep about, you know, your, your own story, your family of origin, you growing up. And so I get that quite a bit of like, hey, we should hang out like let's hear let's hear your story Uh, and so I actually grew up in an incredible family and I'm one of the few I think that really has had the gospel modeled to me from from a young age Uh, my father is really my my best friend uh, along with my brother and the three of us actually go once a year and uh, we do a thing called city a year and so we check out a b-rated city and we kind of do urban exploring uh, great food great great beverages Um, see the city by foot and, you know, what's fun and unique about that place. So I'm incredibly lucky there. I have a mom that prays for me uh, on a regular basis. I don't know where I'd be without mama's prayers. And so I'm just grateful that I've um, grown up in a family where I truly saw the gospel embodied, faith was real growing up. And so some of my early rebellion, I think, was not doubting the existence of God, was doubting really whether I um, wanted to count the cost whether I actually thought that that was the best thing on earth, and so um, through a series of bump ups and failures, and you know, early high school uh, began to really say, you know, what I'm going to dedicate the rest of my life uh, to serving the one who has saved me, and so that was those are huge moments for me. I grew up really quickly, um, had some transformative moments in my life out of pain when I was 15. I was diagnosed with cancer, and um, really had just a, a pretty uh, extreme zoom out moment where I said, what do I want to be? Who do I want to be? What really matters? At 15 years old, other are, you know, think about the girl they had a crush on and basketball season approaching, I'm thinking about life or death. Um, what if this went in a bad direction? Um, what do I have to show uh, for my life? So that was one of those moments that God wakes you up. I was heading forward ministry and, uh, knowing that I was wired for business. Um, but really God had uh, awakened my heart for ministry And uh, I went to college for that. I actually tried to pursue business, and God kind of kicked me out of that. That's a whole different story for a different day and kind of tricked me into showing up in the wrong class at the wrong time. And suddenly I was in a class about the church uh, and about religion and about the gospel and found myself uh, moving into a ministry major, fully committing to that. Uh, I was on probation at one point for studying too little but doing too much ministry in the dorms. Uh, and really not taking it as seriously as I should have on the academic side, which which should have been a bit of a warning to me, I think. Uh, and ultimately, uh, not only taking a call to ministry, but a call to the church, capital C Church, warts and all, realizing that she was the bride of Christ. And so I really have committed the last 12 or 13 uh, years specifically to equipping the saints for the work of ministry through apprenticeships, through coaching, through teaching, and we say everything that we do revolves around the access, the access that Stay Forth Designs of helping leaders become who God designed them to be. And that looks like us getting healthy, reaching more impact, and living as the people God designed us, not the people down the street, the church down the street, the leader of the business, the, the, the other kingdom agents down the street, but it's the people God uniquely designed us to be. So that's literally what I get to do full-time. I feel like one of the
0: luckiest dudes on the earth. Yeah. And I definitely want to talk about that more, the experience of being a coach and uh, stay forth designs and all, but I want to stick with your story for just a second more and talk about, so you have a very clear conviction and awareness of what your calling in life is. And like you just said, you know it and you love it for people who are listening or watching and they're struggling with their calling, trying to discover it. They're calling their un- unique gifting, what God has for them to do. How did you discover yours and come to the place where you are right now? And maybe what kind of insight can you give for people who are listening? I love to start with the idea of what are
1: you curious about? What are you endlessly curious about? And then to just kind of follow that thread and to know that God's in there, that God put that there. What are you endlessly curious about? For some, it may be biology that you don't know why, but you have always loved looking at animals and going to zoos and studying. A uh, friend of mine and his son won't stop asking him big cat questions and is obsessed with big cats. Well, there's something there that God has put there, um, and we call it unique design. There's something in there God's uniquely designed you for. So usually we follow curiosity and we'll find our next right step. But rarely ever does it just the world open to you and say, this is the thing I have designed and purposed you for. That certainly wasn't for me. Uh, for me, it's been a combination of threads as well. Sometimes three or four things you're curious about. I've always loved entrepreneurship, starting new businesses, meeting pain points, and I actually felt like that was less spiritual than going into ministry. Since then, I know that that's bogus, and you know, all work is God's work, And I just know that anything short of sin we can do for the glory of God. So I really pushed into entrepreneurship as a kid. I worked and worked and worked in the summer and I would mow lawns. I didn't even really need the money. I don't really know what I spent it on. It wasn't about the money or the acquiring of stuff. It was about applying myself and then seeing how I could meet these pain points, serve these people and have money um, that they came back to me. In that I employed my friends, one time my, one time my brother, who was four years older than me. So entrepreneurship was a thread for me. The wilderness has always been a thread for me. And then for ministry, it was less of just t- a teaching and preaching ministry, but an equipping ministry where I was, before I had language, helping people become who God designed them to be. So I began coaching, didn't even know what coaching was. Certainly didn't know you could get paid for it. I thought it was about sports, and that was it. And, uh, and so, really, as I look back, those three threads, of the wilderness, of entrepreneurship, and of helping people become who God designed them to be, that's exactly what I get to do now, is I get to equip people through writing, speaking, preaching, coaching, uh, those kind of things, Um, and I get to equip businesses in doing that, churches, nonprofits, doesn't matter who, we host a podcast, so we're equipping through all of that. Entrepreneurship for me is solving pain points and helping people take their next right step and sometimes that involves launching new products like our journal at State Fort Designs. And so God puts the pieces together slowly for us, the piece of the wilderness. I've always led people into the wilderness to experience transformative things, change and growth in their lives. Um, I thought I was going to be a mountain guide, and I thought I was going to run you know, wilderness excursions, did that for a summer, realized that was great, but really what I was after was the life change. And so really I find myself, Aaron, with God, braiding those three things together in my life and allowing me to do all of that underneath the umbrella of Stay Forth Designs, that I'm not limited to just working with ministry or church leaders. I'm not limited to nonprofit leaders, not limited to business leaders. Our team is diverse and uh, we get to do all kinds of different things. Uh, love our local community, always had a heart for that. But I also love leaders in Lafayette, Louisiana and beyond. And I get to have uh, some traveling, speaking, coaching, consulting ministry. But I do that about once a month. Um, because I'm not going to neglect the call to my family and that. So um, the the short of all that is to say that God will often braid those things together when we follow our curiosity and we're obedient to take our next right step. This was over the course of about 10 years; these things began to make sense. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say is it's often through your spouse when you get married. God, I believe, asks us to take on the calling of the other person, not just the personality, not just um, The gifts, abilities, um, talents, the amazing things that they offer, but actually opens up us up to our calling. And so um, I ended up in the orphan care space. We ended up adopting simply because God had given my wife that call at 17 years old. And we found ourselves just shot engagement, literally visiting a friend in prison, which is a part of her heart is to care for the down and out, the widow, the orphan, those in prison and her saying, God has called me to adopt. Will you take on that calling at all? Well? And so before we were even engaged, I really took on the calling of adoption, which I hadn't thought about. Um, it's not something that was heavy on my heart. I um, wasn't against it. I just never thought about it before and accepted that call. And so, uh, so many of the biggest risks that we've taken in our lives, Aaron, have to do with calls that my, uh, my wife took on at a young age and began to serve Jesus in that way. I began to serve Jesus in some very different ways, and He's put those together. Uh, And I believe when it comes to your spouse, one plus one doesn't equal two. It can equal a million. Uh, It can equal six million. It can equal incredible things you never could have done. God loves to do multiplication through marriage, multiplication of vocation, vision, calling, and ultimately those who we can serve. So uh, let's not forget that. Just to pray that God would have us open to the spouse that we meet, to taking on their calling and ultimately to serving together.
0: Yeah. So if I could get some dating advice from you, I'm married, <laughs> but right, for the single ones that are they're listening, with those things you just talked about, if I'm a single person looking for a potential spouse and I'm going to go into that relationship ready to take on the calling of that spouse, what are some things that need to be in my head as I'm looking for a potential spouse, considering my calling and then taking on the calling of another person? Yeah, let's, let's just be real.
1: I think they are going to be better at many things than you are. I mean, my wife is an all-star, keeps our family together, has administrative gifts that I would never dream of. I don't know how to do half of what she does, and she would say the same about me. So I think uh, keeping an eye open, that you are neither intimidated by that person, putting them on a pedestal, or feeling like you are, your gifts are so much greater than them. So really, I think that comes from a humility and a prayer that God would bring you somebody that if you don't have that person in your life, then your gifts cannot be activated to the full amount. I could not keep our family of six together administratively and relationally in the ways that my wife does. And because she does that, I can even be recording this podcast right now without all hell breaking loose and my house burning down in this moment because my wife is better at me uh, than me in so many ways. And so I would look for giftings um, that overlap, giftings that accent, and then I would say, be open to the fact, like I had to be, that the life together is not going to be the life that you plan, because if it is, it's just simply your life, you're inviting somebody else into it. So I had to to remain open that, and even in a humbling way, Aaron, some of the greatest gifts and opportunities of our life, I've done some crazy stuff. Some of the biggest risks that I have and will ever do come to me simply because my wife decided to obey Jesus. And that's humbling. Again, I've done some crazy stuff and, and I put myself in physical danger and climbed mountains and done things that I wouldn't recommend other people do, but I have done nothing as risky as adopting two kids from across the world, a year into marriage when we were broke as a joke and all these things. If my wife hadn't been paying attention to Jesus and hadn't understood the heart of Jesus in that way, then I would not have been able to be welcomed into these blessings and ultimately into sort of receiving a new calling. So um, that goes really deep and really spiritual, but I am that serious about it. That if we're just thinking about a spouse as somebody who looks good and you know has a few things that they do well and yeah, they could accent me or be arm candy, no, that is not what God intended for marriage. And I love that idea. Um, and I also struggle with that idea. It's, it's hard that God did not bring us into marriage to be happy right? To be, but to be holy. Gary Thomas talks about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And God has made me holier, chipped off edges, made me struggle less because I'm married to an amazing woman who walks really closely with
0: Jesus. That's amazing. I love that. Would you want to tell us your adoption story a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I was, uh, we were literally living in my in-law's unfinished basement, which I live in Colorado. That is cold in the winter. <laughs> and so we're, we're living in this unfinished basement. Uh, there's no bathroom down there. So in the middle of the night, when you have to pee, you are running upstairs quickly uh, because, you know, your feet are cold on that, on that hard cement. And uh, remember during the season, my wife couldn't sleep through the night. I had already agreed to adoption. I'd already agreed um, to really take on her calling, although I didn't understand all the intricacies of that. But I was thinking somewhere in that kind of four or five year range, we'd start the process. Uh, seemed normal, four years of college, four years of, you know, just married life and honeymoon stage. And she couldn't sleep through the night. And I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, just have a glass of wine before bed. You'll be fine. Uh, you know, take some melatonin. Uh, of course, it's just a sleep problem. Mm-hmm. She said, no, I feel like we're supposed to start the adoption process. And, uh, and I had to go to the Lord, honestly. I felt way less spiritual than that and saying, um, well, uh, I don't feel like we're ready. I don't feel like we're ready financially. I don't feel like we're ready as parents. Uh, I don't feel like our marriage has been off the ground long enough. I had all the excuses. Why not me? Why not now? Why not us? Um, And suddenly uh, God just, you know, is is in this moment where he had to speak to me directly and uh, almost ashamed to say that he had to speak to me in the area of provision and money to say, are we foolish here? And, you know, you've heard the stories before. It started happening to us where checks end up in the mailbox uh, for no particular reason. I'd already spoken at something and they already paid me once. This has literally never happened ever, except for this time where where they paid me twice. They paid me once, the agreed upon rate, traveled across the country. It was a month or two later and they said, yeah, we just thought we'd pay you again. Who does that? Here's free money. Well, the Lord was confirming in the way that I needed to hear it. We started the adoption process invited friends to come along with us in that process. Um, Some gave, you know, uh, what I think is a a huge sum of money. Some bought our kids beds, um, knowing that we were going to now move upstairs uh, from the basement. Uh, My kind of manhood felt like it was broken in so many different ways (laughs) to be bringing a family into uh, an unfinished space. And ultimately Uh living with my in-laws had humbled me a lot uh, in that season, but um, I was not going to wait till I felt more equipped or qualified to do what we knew god had asked us to do and i had that kind of moment of reckoning who am i to hold my wife and our family back from doing what god has called us to do and we've even surrendered to we've even said it's time uh to to do that and so um obey god before you feel like he's ready and get ready man wild stuff's about to happen and so right after that ended up actually raising uh, full-time support to work with church planters and uh still broke as a joke but now with four mouths to feed, um, two kids didn't understand our language, we went from zero kids to a six-year-old and a two-year-old. We sat in first-grade orientation about a month after uh, our daughter came back uh, from Ethiopia and said, what am I doing? I'm not old enough uh, to, to do this. And so um, my daughter would have been born halfway across the world when I was my, in my junior year of college, um, to kind of put that in perspective. Mm. And so I felt like we had to catch up life stage wise to a lot of the things um, that, uh, that God needed us to, to learn in that season. So it was nuts. I don't remember a whole lot of the first few years uh, of adoption um, was tired, like, you know, like most young parents. Um, but I look back and it was daily provision to just do the next right thing. And so um, some of the hardest times we've ever had and some of the most amazing times in the world we've ever had.
0: Gosh, that's amazing, man. And I just think that there's so many good lessons in that story for people who are, uh, potentially considering a calling to a foster care or adoption. But even outside of that, in that I think that really often we believe that in order for us to step out into a big risky calling or uh, some new step, we, we we expect that we need to have absolute certainty, feel completely equipped for it. There be no, uh, no areas of uh, lack of knowledge. You know, like we have everything we need. And then whenever it's easy and comfortable, then God will have a step into it where it'll be an easy step and uh, it'll be full of rewards. But like you pointed out, stepping into those big risky callings very often is going to happen without us feeling fully ready for it, um, full of uncertainty and just having to step out and trust in him.
1: It, It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. I mean, we want the benefits of life in Christ but we want to take none of the risks. I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. We want the joy of being on a mountaintop, but we want God to helicopter helicopter us up, drop us off. And we want the accomplishment of having climbed without the pain, the blood, the sweat, the tears. That's just not how it works. And sometimes I hate that. And yet for whatever reason, Aaron, um, God has called me to extreme leaps. And that's not the case for everybody. It's interesting. Most times in coaching, I said it to you many times, what's your next right step? Just take your next right step. For whatever reason, my next right step, many times they've been jumps that I feel like people much older, wiser, more skilled, more schooled, whatever. I have all the reasons that I'm not good enough, just like you do. I feel imposter syndrome, just like everybody listening. And all of those leaps for us have been pretty big. It's from not raising support at all to sure we'll do that. We'll learn how to do it in two weeks. And we'll trust God 100% for that. I don't recommend that to everybody. I might not coach you into that decision, Aaron, but I do, for whatever reason, you have to recognize God's pattern in your life. And God, I think, has a unique pace or pattern or cadence for all of us. And um, just like I can't look down on the kind of music that you listen to that you know, brings you alive, you can't look at somebody else's pace. And the big jumps or the small jumps or the incremental growth or the monumental growth we just can't compare ourselves because comparison is the great creativity killer. Mm. And, uh, there's, there's a question that's been really helpful to me because there's an insecurity before faith. There's a fear before faith. And this question to me, um, it's actually two of them, but one of them is this in the heart of God is this thing that I'm about to do in the heart of God. If it is, it is a safe place to be. You may fail, but it is a safe space or place to fail. And I had to take that decision back. Is orphan care in the heart of God? Yes. Is caring for leaders, making leaders whole and experience shalom and become who God designed them to be? Is that close to the heart of God? It is. Is communicating the gospel. uh, I wrote three books in three years. Do not recommend it. That was one of those massive leaps. Um, Not a good plan. Wouldn't recommend it yet for whatever reason God had me doing it. Are all three of these messages within the heart of God worth you know, striving for, sweating for the next few years, yes. Okay, I'm going to take that leap. And many times we don't ask that question, is this in the heart of God? Brene Brown asked the question, what's worth doing even if you fail? Mm-hmm. And almost everything I've done in my life, there are a few exceptions, but almost everything I say, man, if I fail, this is 100% worth it. This is the kind of thing that I want to go after with my life. And I can't guarantee whether it works out great on the other side of this. And there's a a gal, Christy Wright, and she says, um, whenever there's a presence of fear, it doesn't mean that you're doing something bad. It just means that you're doing something hard. And I think many times fear for us becomes an indicator we're doing the wrong thing. But actually fear for me has become the indicator I'm doing the right thing. Now, how do I do this as wisely as possible? I've discerned this massive thing. And most people come to us for coaching saying, I've just learned this massive thing. It's pretty scary. How do I do this in the wisest way possible to steward this one life, the time, the energy, the money, the abilities that God has given me, not the ones God's given to you, Aaron, or somebody else. So if you're listening to this wondering, should I take the risk? Is it in the heart of God? Is it worth doing? Even if I fail, is there a fear there? That's the kind of holy fear that causes you to cling to God. And what's my next right step. It may be a jump. It may be a tiny little baby step, but we've got to take our next right step. That to me is faith.
0: That's awesome. I love it. So let's talk about Stay Forth Designs. So you are the uh, the leader at Stay Forth Designs. I don't know. What, what's your official title?
1: I'm not even sure. No, it's uh, <laughs> lead creative at Stay Forth uh, as well as coach and consultant.
0: Okay. So tell us the story behind Stay Forth Designs.
1: I uh, was actually reading a book, uh, straight out of, um, kind of the business school of books the, the canon that business leaders would tell you to read straight out of Stanford business school. And the book's called designing your life. And I realized that the concept of life design, we as followers of Jesus should be the best at life design, should be the most grounded at life design because we have a designer and we, we know in the pages of scripture, what the designer did, but we struggle many times to know what the designer does in our lives on a regular basis. And so we, we look at design like, Oh God's put the world into motion, but we're, you know, kind of agnostic in the way we live it. Maybe God has, you know, some kind of design for how I can participate in that. And so uh, I'd already been coaching at the time and realized, man, I love coaching. I love helping people discern their next step, holding them accountable Asking questions. You've been through coaching errands. You know it's not just me talking. I'm actually about twenty percent of the time talking is the goal. And it's mostly asking questions. Occasionally I'll put a friend hat on, but how do we draw out who God has designed people to be? And so that's the designs piece. And design is form and function. It's gotta work and be functional. And that's the ridiculously practical piece of what we do, but it's also gotta have a nice form to it. It's beautiful. Think about a chair. I want a chair that's beautiful. I also want a chair that's comfortable. And that's kind of a Venn diagram that comes together. I've sat in all kinds of Ikea chairs. They look great, but I ain't sitting in that thing for more than 10 minutes. And then other chairs that are the most comfortable chair at the thrift store, but it probably bears diseases and should be on the couch of, you know, some college uh, out or on the, the front porch of some college um, you know, frat or whatever. And, and so I, I see form and function come together with design and we say, stay forth. Don't go and learn that lesson somewhere else. God is a patient teacher and he'll offer you the, you the, the lesson and the retake again on the test tomorrow, but learn the lessons right where you're at. Your dysfunction will travel with you. And mm-hmm. I've just uh, said and found my, to myself, the best time to do the work is now. The best time to dig in is now. Don't give it an excuse. You'll have to approach it again in a year, five years, ten years. One of the biggest things that I grieve, Aaron, is older leaders, especially older males, who never learned the lessons or did the work or had the mentors or had the tools at, an, at a young age. And they are 75 years old, living as if they were 19. They never learned how to be secure in their identity, they never learned they were loved for who they are, not for what they do. And they're still at 75 years old trying to earn people's approval when they should be ushering two and three generations into more legacy. It deeply grieves me. We have to do the work as young leaders. And I um, currently am in counseling and uh, currently I'm learning tons about myself. I actually have a coach myself for our business and I'm reading books all the time. I have never been learning more about who God is, who I am, And how I'm practically supposed to follow him in that. And so it's uh, when we are growing, we are fully alive. And so we get to help people become fully alive. Kind of last thing we say is we literally save lives. We help people become who they're designed to be. I mean, we literally help like zombies. Sometimes people who are burning out don't know why they're doing what they're doing. Become the enlivened people God has created them to be. I mean, we get to watch incremental miracles happen through coaching. So it's a great joy. We're not suffering on this side of it. I mean, I love uh, what I get to do. Our team is uh, so passionate and purposeful about it. So that's where you put stay forth together with designs. And uh, people are like, are you guys a design company? Uh, Yes, but not like you think.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I think that a lot of things you're talking about are going to sound really inspiring to people, but also really new. So, what would you, uh, how would you define or explain what coaching is, at least in the way that you do it?
1: Yeah, so many people don't have a grid for coach. Um, I say that we are mountain guides for leaders, and so if you think about it, a mountain guide, they have knowledge of the terrain, they've been there before, and yet they can't carry you up the mountain. They shouldn't carry you up the mountain; they're not strong enough to carry up the mountain. You've got to walk on your own legs, and so. We walk alongside of people on the leadership journey. Um, Coaching involves questions and involves drawing out instead of putting in. Um, Teaching and training are amazing. I do those things. You do those things. It's very, very different from coaching. Coaching is a drawing out uh, like a chiseling away. Imagine that you're creating an ice sculpture. I remember this the first time as a kid and just sitting there and saying, what are they chipping away at? What are they creating? And and I can't see it. And it moves from a block to some kind of shape to eventually it's like, Oh, it's a swan, you know? And then it sits at the midnight buffet. And I mean, it's beautiful, but it's in there. It's not a blank canvas where we can just become whoever we want to and reinvent ourselves. It's literally a help people chip away at who God has designed them to be. And then the steps that they take in obedience, the actions that they take toward that. And so It's a a little bit different. We say that we're Holy Spirit-centered coaching, which means that if I'm listening to you and I'm coaching you, Aaron, I've got one ear on what might the Holy Spirit be doing in Aaron's life and one ear on what are some practical ways Aaron could actually go obey. And uh, I find people are usually either deeply spiritual or deeply practical. It seems to to me to be easy to do both uh, or sorry, to do either, but it's hard to do both. So Mm -hmm. we want to be deeply spiritual listening to the voice of God and deeply practical. What are you actually going to do about it? Leaders want solutions and next steps. And so we pull that down from being high in the clouds. I want to become this someday. I want to do this someday. Uh, And so uh, careful uh, in a coaching session saying what you want to do. If you say, hey, I feel called to write. Well, that was probably the end of that right there. We said, okay, Aaron, so what's your next step? And get that out there. And how do I connect you to somebody? What do you do? You find yourself, you know, a few years later, like you are, Um, you know, regularly writing for different publications, take care in that step. And so uh, we say that we grow fruit on other people's trees. And uh, if you love helping other people develop, draw out, become the people they're designed to be, take their next steps, you may be wired like a coach.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think that your definition uh, certainly resonates with my experience in coaching. uh, That every single session, it did feel like something was being, pulled out rather than I was just being poured into, you know, of course you're, you're pouring into an investing with your time. And there are times where you say, Hey, let me give you this, whether it's a tool or some uh, information. Uh, But it really did. Yeah. I love that, that description of pulling out because, you know, there's a lot of time where we'd be talking through something really difficult and you would be asking me questions. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I'm like, no, these are the questions I want to be asking you. <laughs> you know, why are you asking me these questions? Uh, but it was so great going through that process, even though having someone dig into you like that is a little bit uncomfortable to have you dig in, have a coach dig in, and then you kind of restate something that I had said, but then a light bulb goes off in that moment. And I think that's really like the magic of coaching. And and, and getting the person to struggle through with these difficult questions and come to this place of uh, of of insight, if you will
1: yeah sure well, and and leaders are good at deflecting right because we 're so mm. used to serving other people we don 't want to seem like it 's all about us, um, we just don 't work with those kind of leaders, and we just don 't the people that come to us are serving, serving, serving the problem with that is it can feel hedonistic to think about yourself, it can feel hedonistic to do what. Augustine said, know thy God, know thyself. I mean, he was talking, an early church father is talking about self-awareness for this self-awareness craze today. Mm. And so, I mean, let's just face the irony of today is that we are more connected than ever. We have more information than ever. And we are as as little on the self-awareness scale, I believe, as we've ever been. We are so disconnected from ourselves and we are so lonely at the same time. Mm. And so uh, rarely does a leader have somebody drawing them out. They're assuming, oh, and you got it. It looks like you're serving God. It looks like you know uh, everything going on in your life. You're good. And we forget the leader's not good. The leader's not just okay. The leader's a human. They have limits, They have boundaries. They have needs. They need friendships. They need relationships. There's some crossover in what a counselor might do or say, but it's not a counselor. There's some crossover in what a friend might do or say. And, and I may, especially if I'm there on the ground, we're going to get some meals together. We're going to have some fun. We're going to laugh. Um, but we're not. Uh, I'm not primarily there. I'm not flying across the country in that moment to be your friend. I'm literally there to serve you in this way. It's a very unique niche that is bigger than just a sermon you can grab from somebody else. Is that you know highly needed? Of course. It's different from a counselor. Is that highly needed? Of course. And I'm not qualified in that sense or called to that. But it's this really unique sliver. And if you're a leader listening and you feel like I have nobody in my corner, I have no way to discern that, then. Uh, a coach can be a great next step. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um, and you should never, if you're coaching someone, you should never work harder on their life than they're willing to work. So Aaron, if you ever came and I felt like, I, Oh man, I'm working harder than he is right now on his life. Then we're going to have a timeout. Maybe you got too much going on in your life. Maybe this isn't right for you. But I mean, I get to work with hungry leaders and only the hungry grow.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. And I know that that's one of the things that you uh, that you look for primarily in taking on a new client is is hunger and growth and I think that's a good lesson for us to take uh, even if we're not professionally working as a coach but if you are uh, in business looking at hiring people, if you're teaching in any capacity you know if you are in an office and you have coworkers looking for the people who are open hungry, they want to see your success or the business's success as just as much as their own and that's a really uh, great quality to find in a person. Um, you mentioned how you've been able to see just like zombies come to life, <laughs> or people at the edge of burnout uh, just have great um, new life rejuvenated into them. Uh, do any particular stories of transformation stick out to you?
1: Yeah, there's there's the gal, she's actually um, a refugee uh, that originally came to you know our our country fleeing. Um, the tyranny uh, of a particular country. She's a church planter in middle America. Uh, She works with now refugees and people have been displaced from their country. And she does all the things. She is a hard worker, gritty, and she stepped into coaching uh, a little bit skeptical. I mean, leaders, the, the cardinal sin of leadership is don't waste a leader's time. You know, every leader coming in, skeptical. Um, yeah, we paid for this, but really the big investment is time. And so I think she was skeptical that her time would be wasted. Many people have had bad coaching experiences. So I think there was some of that for her. And she wondered, why am I here? I'm I'm doing fine. And um, started to see her heart soften, started to see her take some next steps. and, And this gritty, hungry, honest leader, I'm walking with her, finishing up two rounds of 10 sessions, So we're about 20 sessions later, which is close to, that's about 30 hours of spending specifically on her, drawing out, having her take next steps, checking in with me. And we have, I mean, she is unrecognizable Mm. in terms of how she has grown. She has started putting up boundaries, realizing she has limits, realizing she needs to empower a team and not just do it all, realizing that. Um, When somebody comes to her ready to just drop a burden on her, she needs to ask some more questions. She is unrecognizable. And it's been incredible to watch, honestly, to say um, that I never thought that she would come this far. And there was a moment when she literally said, if I keep running at this pace, I'm going to die. I'm literally going to have something in my body fail all the way now to somebody who's now coaching some other leaders, starting some apprenticeships at their church, continuing to serve the community. They've bought a church building uh, and now are relocating that side of town. And some incredible things are happening. She's grounded. Um, she has her identity intact and secure. And I get to hear those kind of stories all the time. And uh, I get to work with those every day. So she she stands out um, and you know, I won't tell the full story, but I'm currently working with somebody who works in the millions of dollars. Um, you know, I talk about yearly goals. Uh, hey, what's, what's your annual goal? And he said, well, yeah, I've got to come up with $125 million in capital this year. So that's the thing I'm heading toward. I uh, said it, you know, cool as a, uh, cool as a cucumber, uh, not as stressed as a lot of the leaders um, who, I'm, who are not stewarding as much uh, as, mm-hmm. as he is, especially financially. And um, even just to watch him care for his family more during the season to realize he has needs and limits and to make better decisions with his partner. And uh, I literally can say millions of dollars in deals are on the line this year. And uh, he really wants to become a healthy leader so he can continue to not just be successful at work, but so he can be successful at home as the dad that God has called him to be. Um, He's getting his nights, weekends back, starting to run again, uh, do some things that he enjoys that he's forgotten for a while. So um, yeah, I, uh, I get to be in all of those life and leadership conversations.
0: That's great. And something that I'm definitely hearing from both of those stories is people who started to experience freedom. And one of the things that you often told me when we were going through coaching is you would say, you know, Aaron, I'm not in the leadership business. I'm in the freedom business. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, there's so many people offering leadership t- t- tips and tricks and advice. It's everywhere out there. Go Google, leadership on Amazon and the amount of results are going to be in the millions. Everybody wants to talk about leadership, but who is actually taking things off of our plates, calling us back to this abundant life of Jesus, this full and zestful life that is available to us. And I find that so many things on leadership are telling you more of what to do. They're putting chains back on you that are heavy and burdensome and rusty in different ways. And yet very few people are saying, this is leadership in the way of Jesus. And it looks like freedom. We have this phrase that we say, the abundant life is not a unicorn. And so many times as Christian leaders, we treat it like it is. Like, oh, that was cute when Jesus said that. Like, oh, there was a legend. You know, this, this idea of an abundant life, like, doesn't that sound nice? But yeah, we're just going to be stressed, poor, overwhelmed, and anxious here on this earth. And I just no longer receive that. And so we are in the business of helping people become who God has designed them to be and looks and feels and smells like, not like more chains, putting on more burdens on people's lives. And so for us, we take that incredibly seriously. At the end of your time with us, you should feel more free to be who God has designed you to be not just a list of 25 more things to do and feel bad about when you don't meet that goal.
0: Mm. I think that all of us, no matter where we are, whether you're in ministry business, some other field, a student, we all hear something like that. And we think that is what I want, right? That's the kind of life that I want. Um, we, we like hearing that, Oh, I don't have to be uh, stressed out and whatever else to achieve uh, goals or to follow up the calling that God has given me. So we hear that. Uh, but we're not experiencing it. Why do you think that so many people aren't experiencing that kind of freedom in pursuing their calling?
1: Number one, we don't think it's possible. If we believe it is a legend, then Satan keeps our eyes filled. And Remember, Satan comes to steal, kill, destroy, distract, and discourage all words of death. And if Satan can disorient us enough, to believe it's just not possible. That's a cute dream and a cute idea, just not possible. And there's so many people that believe that, that greatness, believe that freedom is not possible. Uh, I meet so many people who come from a, a bad narrative growing up, maybe their parents had a bad marriage, so they believe marriage is impossible to have a great marriage, let alone a good one or a functional one. So they either choose to not get married or they choose to get married and hold back. And the same is true spiritually. If we don't believe, if we've never seen it, we don't believe it's possible, then we're we're actually not going to lean into it. And what's crazy, Aaron, is that all we need to believe something's possible is to see it one time. Mm. One time. The power of one. You guys listening, if, if you are the one person that says, oh, I'm the first Christian that wasn't weird to somebody. Like, Here's to not being weird. If I'm the one person that lived a life that they said, I could follow that kind of integrity. It's possible now. And other people get a vision for it. You're the, the first married couple somebody's met that you wanted to be like. The first person that did this thing and you believe somebody like me um, who looks like me could be in that kind of level of leadership. Now you know it's possible and you want to believe in that. And so I think number one, that it's actually possible. And number two, people don't know how. I mean, the strategy, how do I actually get there? What are my next steps? And this is the the stewardship. This is what keeps me awake at night, Aaron, is to say, for whatever reason, God has helped me have the knowledge of how somebody could take their next right step. I didn't put it in myself, but it's people vision. I see Ephesians 2.10 in you, that you are workmanship, but you have good works to do. And I see that there's a variety of giftings. I see that you can take your next right step and get there. So really for me, um, I have a stewardship to live that out. And it is now not only a calling that I have, but a calling that has me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I think, is it possible? And then how do we actually get there? How do we actually navigate and so the answer is, yes, it's possible. The abundant life is possible. Uh, it's accessible. It's available. I know so many leaders living at a healthy story you just don't hear that. You hear the ones that are crashing maybe into the wall. Uh, and then secondly, get around somebody who can ask you hard questions, who can help you take next steps. And that's really where coaches live. And that's why I'm so passionate about coaching is not just, yeah, you could do that, Aaron. But how would you do that? And as you know, you've taken a series of probably 15 or 20 big steps over the last year and you're seeing some pretty incredible things happen. Um, that's available to so many leaders.
0: Yeah, I love what you said about the narrative part. That is just so powerful. That's one of the things in uh, in Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, his section on the scripts that we uh, live according to and the scripts we believe was one of the most powerful sections for me. And you know, as you were talking about that, it was making me think about how, you know, so Christians are gospel people, right? We're the people of the good news but so often we only apply the good news, um, to one very specific area of our life. And that's the issue of salvation, which is primarily what the gospel is about, right? Is our salvation. Um, but we enter into a relationship with this abundant God (laughs) who is abundant in, in mercy and love and care for us. And so, um, why wouldn't this abundant God also want for us to then be able to live a a life of freedom and flourishing in whatever specific way that might look like. It's going to look very different for individuals. Um, But why wouldn't he then also want that for us? Because after all, like you said, we're his workmanship and he has good works prepared for us. And so even if living out those good works, doesn't look the exact same as the world's definition of an abundant or flourishing life um, because it's God's definition is going, to be, uh, is going to be a narrative that will be so much better than any success narrative the world could give us. And so I love that you said that. Um, let's talk about The Right Side Up Leader. So The Right Side Up Leader is a book that you wrote that uh, and captures a lot of what we've been talking about. Uh, and it's also the title of your podcast. Uh, but let's talk about the book for a second. What's the concept behind The Right Side Up Leader?
1: Just very simply, we live in an upside down world right now that has been turned on its head. Nobody would say it is thriving or flourishing. Nobody would say uh, politics in America is a great space. It's a healthy space. I want my kids actually shaped by it and disciplined by it and act like that. Said no one ever, right? So nobody today is arguing that the world is right set up. I actually think it's a great place. In this COVID thing, nobody's freaking out. Nobody's stealing toilet paper. Nobody's looting anything. Like some of the ugliness of humanity really comes out uh, in that. And so I truly believe that in this upside-down kingdom, we're actually going to be the ones that are leading right up with character, with integrity, with the intent to serve other people, with an abundance mentality like you talked about, not living in scarcity. And when we find ourselves living right-side up, we will be the freaks. And it's a freaks like me club. We have a right-siders group on uh, Facebook and people that are gentling uh, together are sharing some of their tips, some of the struggles um, and realizing that there's so many people that want to live right-side up in this crazy and upside-down world. And yet we will be recognized as foreigners. We'll be recognized as weirdos. We will be recognized as freaks. And the ones who are actually the ones saying, life's pretty good over here. We've taken on a significant calling. We have weight on our shoulders. It's real. The challenges are no joke, but this is good over here. And serving is actually better than receiving in a consumeristic world, saying we have lives of purpose. And really just the, the plain message about that is that first of all, that identity is that we are I said workmanship, Ephesians 2.10. you God's workmanship before you ever do anything. And any relationship that you are trying to earn someone's love is dysfunctional. It is. Any marriage relationship you think, man, if I deliver on this date, she'll finally love me. We're 10 years into marriage. I take her on that trip. She will love me. You, you find yourself in a dysfunctional relationship. And many of us accidentally find ourselves in dysfunctional relationships with the Father. And we need to... Recognize he loves us. He also has good work for us to do. Like I invite my kids into helping me with a project. Don't tell my kids, but it doesn't actually help me to have them build something with me. But man, it's way more fun. Mm-hmm. And so God invites us into those. So really, set right up leaders are about identity first before impact and workmanship before works. And so what we say is get healthy and reach more impact in a world that wants to do anything reach impact, well, I've got bad news for you. Then you'll do anything to reach impact. You'll be amazed at some of the compromises you make along the way and, and some of the things that you do if impact is the final goal. And really, if serving, if leading in the way of Jesus, as God has designed us to, is the final goal, then we will do whatever is necessary to stoop, to kneel, to pray, to serve, to wash the feet of our city. Um, that is a right-side-up leader. And we are crazy enough, Aaron, to have this vision that we want to change the Christian leadership conversation, period. We want to change the narrative from leaders that are tired, that are striving, that are driving, that are never enough, never satisfied. Um, you know, God is a, a slave driver and, and you need to be a workhorse to saying, we are deeply and dearly loved by the Father. And oh yeah, he has some work. He's invited us into as well. That's a right side up leader.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think you already pretty much explained it, but one of the core quotes from the book is pursue impact and you'll find unhealth pursue health. You'll find impact. And, uh, do you think that sums up what you were saying just now? Absolutely.
1: We're running a million miles an hour at health. If that's the end goal, then somehow we find ourselves unhealthy. How did I get so tired? How did I get so exhausted? Um, why am I so busy that I, um, don't have empathy to listen to my neighbor, or listen to my kids. And I've been there. Uh, I almost burned out about two years into ministry. And that was the beginning of God writing this message in my heart. Why do I think I don't have enough time to stop in Sabbath? Something that Jesus did and the Jewish people have done for a couple thousand years now. Um, and yet I'm trying to beat the system. Mm-hmm. The system will beat you eventually. And, um, and so, yeah, that's, to, to me, it's this identity piece first. And then when impact rises out of that, I'm telling you, it feels different. It just feels different when a calling has you, when God is leading you and God is opening doors for you instead of you trying to be down doors and you trying to become someone. I'm just trying to be who God made me to be.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Whenever I was reading it, I saw like the three core sections or, or the three core uh, points or ideas in moving from being a leader who pursues impact to becoming a right-side-up leader who pursues health. I saw the three core ideas as being Um, The focus on identity and meaning before just like what you do, Uh, installing healthy rhythms in your life, uh, ceasing from producing, Uh, and then also making a shift from uh, being and living reactively to proactively. And so I think we've already talked about identity meaning a little bit. Would you explain uh, just really just shortly what does it mean to have healthy rhythms in your life?
1: Yeah, rhythms. I mean, the world is built on rhythms and everybody, there's this illusion of balance. Everybody seems to want the idea of balance. It feels right. Uh, The problem is it's just not achievable and it's just not realistic. God has built the world uh, not on balance, but on rhythms. There's day, there's night, there's hot, there's cold, there's work, there's rest. We're actually quite extreme in the things that we do right? And one day of the week for you may be a full pouring out of your mind. The next day, maybe sitting on the couch, relaxing with your family, going for a walk. That's a life of rhythm. And so we want people to catch those rhythms. Some call it a rule of life, um, which is just simply kind of the, the ruler, the, the way that we have a straight stick that measures life. And that each week, each month, in uh, each year has rhythms built into that. We understand these uh, intrinsically, deep down. We understand the summer is the time of play. Many times the, wor- the winter can be can feel like a time of, of toil, but maybe we rest a little bit more and sleep a little bit more. Uh, and so there are these rhythms that God, I believe, has really baked into us and baked into um, humanity, and um, we get to live on the rhythms of God. We live rhythmless. We actually live out of control we face a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety. There's some fascinating stories of people who have tried to live without rhythm. Um, and there's some stories of Alexander the Great and a few others that thought this seven-day week thing is stupid. Um, we could get more productivity out of people. Actually, for a time, even installed uh, an eight-day week and thought, "Man, I can squeeze you know an extra percent out of people and work more, build the kingdom faster." And people were committing suicide. Work was going down, and they realized, "Huh, God has set this thing up on purpose." Um, for the rhythms. And um, by the way, I think it's one reason people like going back to the beach is because mm. there's, there's this groundedness with knowing there are tides coming in and out. Um, at, last time I left, there were tides. I come back, there are tides. And there's just a groundedness to knowing something way bigger than us spinning the world.
0: Yeah. What, what are some of your rhythms? Just to give people an idea of uh, kind of a concrete example, of what rhythms look like. Maybe let's just talk about weekly. What, what are your weekly rhythms look like? On an average and week, most- I know that can vary.
1: Totally. Very little bit, but I would say um, just at the most base building block is Sabbath. I just define which day I'm going to cease driving. which day is designated for rest, for refreshment, for um, rejuvenating me, my life, my family. And um, and for me, that involves some adventure in that. And that's probably a whole other podcast, kind of what rhythm or what Sabbath actually is. Uh, But for me, um, there's play. In there, that's something that's really important to me. There's exercise, I try to combine those and, and I do basketball actually three days a week uh, with similar people before social distancing hits. I actually uh, love going out and mountain biking as well. And so there's some level of play, uh, some level of exercise, really pushing the body hard and, and to the limits. Um, and there are times of connection and relationship. There's also times of deep work for me um, where I am in a uh, field, in an industry where I need to get away and really think deeply and write deeply. So there's time by myself. Um, there's times actually even podcasting for me is it happens every single Tuesday and it comes along I look forward to it. And it's a day of, of really asking questions, interacting with people. Um, coaching for me is something that regularly I come back to, but I don't let people schedule that whenever um, they want to actually sleep. Um, seven hours a night is, is what I need. I'm pretty regimented on that. Um, 10 to five, and I'm an early morning guy in that we all have to figure out how much sleep we need. Um, some have a higher capacity, some are lower. We just have to figure that out. Uh, and then people and relationships is a, a huge one for me. Um, what level of, you know, are you an introvert? Or are you an extrovert? And so I know kind of what that looks like for me. Um, I also need a little bit of spontaneity in my life. I'm an Enneagram 7, and so I do need some level of adventure, and I can go find that at the wilderness area near my house and go find that in a new coffee shop. But just something spontaneous and different for about half a day a week and usually bring my kids along to that. And of course, how do I invest in each kid differently? And we have a rhythm of that. Um, and then of course, rhythms of the year. And we vacation uh, really hard, rest really hard, do a lot of recreation, fun uh, in the summer. And um, we, we know that the school year really is the time we need to buckle down and uh, invest in our kids deeply.
0: Awesome. Man, I had so much more that I wanted to get to. We are running out of time. Let me squeeze in one more short question before we go. And like I mentioned, you wrote, uh, you wrote the book right side up leader, and then you have the right side up leadership podcast. We're going to have a link to that in the show notes so that people can find it and follow it. I highly recommend it. Um, you are a few dozen episodes in now, right? Um, you've been doing it we for at least a year
1: have hit 80. We're in the eighties right now.
0: Okay. So that's a lot of episodes, but just for us to close out. Let me ask you, if somebody is just now hearing about the podcast, they are going to go subscribe and you say, Hey, here's, here's one episode uh, for you to go check out just to get started. What, what one interview uh, sticks out in your mind that you think they should go check out?
1: Man, it's like asking which kid is my favorite kid. I just can't, I know, you can't do I know. that to a man.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: John Mark Kilmer uh, came on and talked about the ruthless elimination of hurry. Uh, phenomenal book, phenomenal episode. If you feel like you're running too fast, that's probably the one I want to start with. Um, We also had Nona Jones uh, came on. Nona is a fascinating woman who has worked with Facebook um, and works with nonprofits, uh, is a speaker, motivational coach, um, crazy, hard, devastating, redemptive story uh, that she has. Uh, And then also, if you are a father, there is one by a guy named John Tyson who talks about how to raise men. He talks about how he's discipling his son. Uh, that is the one with the most tears I've had. I had guys text me and say, thanks, man, I'm on my way to work and I am bawling in the car. So if you're up for that, if you're up for all the feels and really for for that, listen to John's episode. But those would be three that really have stuck out. But honestly, they're all a highlight reel. We get to interview fascinating leaders.
0: Yeah, those are great ones. Um, And I know that was a difficult question. So thanks for playing along with me. I know that I've been following the podcast since you guys got started. Uh, I love it. And there are several episodes that stick out in my mind as well. And so, like I said, we'll make sure that we have that in the show notes uh, so that people can easily find it. Alan, before we go, let people know how they can uh, find you online, find more of what you do, and get connected with you or Stay Forth Designs.
1: Yeah, just I, I just say uh, just follow Stay Forth Designs. Um, not Go Forth, but Stay Forth, S-T-A-Y-F-O-R-T-H, designs, stayforth.com. Um, follow along on Instagram and Facebook, wherever your preferred social media of choice. Um, that's where I I honestly send people first. Um, I do my own stuff at Alan Briggs, A-L-A-N-B-R-I-G-G-S. But, um, honestly, um, you'll see a whole lot of my family there and maybe some quotes and things I'm thinking through, uh, at the time, but the stay forth uh, page. We're really intentional about curating content, um, that can bless leaders, um, that can ultimately make you think a little bit and can bring you back to right-sided up leadership. So yeah, start there. Aaron, man, love that you guys are doing this podcast. Keep up the great work and it's good to see your face again, man.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate you coming, coming on here so much, investing the time. Uh, I have no doubt this is going to be really, really great, uh, redeeming freeing content for a lot of people. So like I said, I a lot more. So let's do this again. Uh, thank you so much for being here, man.
1: Sounds great, man. Thanks for having me.